0: We're going to talk about salvation today. Um, we've been talking about salvation for the last um, two weeks specific, but you can't open the Bible without talking about salvation. We've talked about the total depravity of man. And I'm going to tell you something. I don't think we get that. I think we can preach on it all day long, but I don't think we realize how depraved we are as individuals. Not every one of us is our, our Jeffrey Dahmers, but we are... Um, totally hostile towards God. And that sets the stage for understanding why we need a substitutionary atonement. And as Moon pointed out so eloquently last week, why we need um, to be quickened by God. Why we need to be chosen by God. And what are the implications of that? We're going to carry on with that thread. But I want to just read you something out of our members' confession of faith, and um, if those aren't available to you today, those will be available. To they are available. Thank you. I did not check on that before. And where are they, Andrew? We have the members' confession of faith that'll be back here on the table. But I wanted to read to you the section on salvation. Um. This is what Providence Bible Church believes about salvation. And this is what, if, we, if you want to be a member of Providence Bible Church, what you must believe about salvation. We believe that salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Christ's death was a representative, substitutionary sacrifice to appease the wrath of God towards sinful man. All of those who place their faith in the blood of Christ for the forgiveness of sins, inherit eternal life and will never be con- condemned but have passed out of death into life. That's what that's what you need to believe to, to be a member. And again, these membership confessions are now available over there where the Bibles are available. I want you to understand that that's, that's, that's it. That's simply what um, we want you to understand about salvation to be a member of Providence Bible Church. Some of our teaching, especially Moon's uh, teaching last week, was a little more precise than that. And what we, want to un- what we want you to understand about what we're preaching here today is this is what it requires to be a teacher at Providence Bible Church. We're going, to fi- we're going to slice it a little bit finer than a broad statement like this to become a teacher at Providence Bible Church. So you can expect um, teachers of Providence Bible Church to believe a little bit more um, like the election message that we heard last week and, and like, quite frankly, the, the message that, that I intend to deliver today. So what you're hearing is what you, what you will be hearing from teachers at Providence Bible Church so we're going to cut that a little bit, cut that a little bit finer, and we're going to cut it a little bit finer even today. When we talk about salvation, I want to tell you a story about a guy who was a young man. <clears throat> I should talk to it in second person, like it's like like John wrote the book of John, and talk about this guy that I know the way John wrote his gospel. This guy that I know, I'll just let you up front, is me. They, My parents decided to get a better education for me when I was um, going into sixth grade. They didn't want me to go to the middle school, so they, with much difficulty, bust me in out of the holler uh, through various carpool methods to get me into a, a Christian school in town. And what I did like about Christian school in town... Was that I went, I went to for probably three years and then I went back to the public school. But I spent my middle school years in a Christian school. What I loved about Christian school was Bible class. I mean, I could, I could eat that up. One of the most interesting things to me about Bible class was on Fridays, uh, the, the uh, Bible teacher who was also a pastor, loved the Bible very much, very educated, he would entertain questions. And every week when he entertained questions, I wrote him a question about the sovereignty of God and the free will of man. Because I could not wrap my mind around it. How could you have free will and yet God choose you? Those two statements don't seem to make sense. Both are taught. Election. I mean, you can't. Somebody told me, you know, they they don't believe in election. Well, you don't believe in the Bible if you don't believe in election. You, you you may believe different things about how God elected, but you can't say that election is not in the Bible. It's all through the pages of Scripture. So how you understand election may be in question, and good people disagree about that. But you, you can't say, I just disagree with, with election. But as a child, um, I kept on sending these questions week after week. Finally, an exasperated pastor After months of this, who was my Bible teacher, said, Hamlet, no more questions about the sovereignty of God and the free will of man. We just can't do it. We can't take up every Friday afternoon with this question. I tell you that to tell you if you're struggling with that and if you're struggling with some of the things that Moon may have said next week, just wait to what I say this week and you'll struggle even more um, uh, just to (laughs) let you know. Um... You're, you're in good company. This is a difficult issue. That's one of the reasons it's not part of our member confession that you dice it or, or as, as finely as we have um, for our uh, teacher's confession at Providence Bible Church. So let me give you some leeway there. But on the flip side, I don't want to make it sound like it's unimportant to us as elders. It is important. And we, we, we do believe um, what, we're, what we're teaching about election and we do believe what, we're gonna, what I'm going to teach about today, um, which is effectual calling or, or irresistible grace, is kind of the, the theological terms that we've given them. Um, but I want, you to, I want you to listen. I want you to understand. I want you to study your Bible. I want you to come back with questions. small group is a wonderful time to ask those questions. And even after a small group, I think some of the better conversations happen out on the porch, don't they, Dave? You know, you know when, when you get a chance to get away from the group and you don't have to ask a question that everybody's going to say, well, I wonder why she asked that question. Of course, some of you guys don't have problems with that and you're, you're very open people and, 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 and share easily in small groups. But I would ask you to, to sort some of that out in your small groups. We're going to talk about the subject of redemption. Three points that we want to make today about redemption that we believe that it's important for teachers at Providence Bible Church to understand clearly. Number one, it's grace. It's by grace that you're saved through faith. It's not of yourself. We want you to understand that there is, in our opinion, an effectual call from God. And when you see the word effectual, just think it has a good effect. It works. It does its job when God calls he doesn't miss on this one or hope he gets that one. we as we read the scriptures we believe that when he calls it's effectual call. people come to know him and third irresistible grace and these are all tied up in each other and it's really impossible to to kind of separate separate all those out finally. And you'll see that, that I'll do that very awkwardly probably today. Um, but hopefully with the, with the help of the Spirit and the Word of God, um, we will dice this out. One of the things I want to tell you is what we're saying to you is not without historic precedent. This is something that theologians have talked about and that there are theologians who... Um, have believed this, you know, for many, many years. Namely, Augustine. In fact, what we believe is probably, and could be called most properly, an Augustinian view of Christianity. People who, people like Paul Bunyan, whom you all recognize as the writer of *Pilgrim's Progress*. Um, he he believed uh, in Augustinian theology. The person who translated the scriptures um, into our language, Tyndale, um, um, Edwards, Knox, Luther, Martin Luther, um, not Martin Luther King, but Martin Luther, um, John Calvin. Jonathan Edwards, Cotton Mather, and probably somebody that we would mostly identify with that um, has been called the Prince of Preachers that all folks who come from a Baptist tradition venerate is, is Charles Haddon Spurgeon. So this is not something new that we've just cooked up for you guys um, Right out, right out of the box. This is something that's been around for hundreds of years. And if you're thinking, okay, so you guys are the ones with the old guys, and that is a common um, criticism of, of these positions. Let me just tell you about some new guys, some modern-day people who also take these views of the doctrines of grace. People like John MacArthur. John Piper, R.C. Sproul, Al Mohler, Tim Keller, D.A. Carson, J.I. Packer, Ligon Duncan and Wayne Grudem. All these folks are people who, who are much harder to see on my very small screen over here. Just for the record, why I'm struggling. Um, much easier to see back behind me to identify them. But those are folks that today, present day, we would we would recognize. And let me just tell you what what some of the the dicing of this is. It's really two ideas about how salvation occurs. And one is called monergism. And just look at that word for a minute. We all know what mono means. Uh, Mono means one. And the Greek word or the Latin word ergo is kind of an element of work. So who does the work? If you believe in a monergistic salvation, you understand that God alone does this work. The other option that you have in Christianity is synergism, and you can hear synonym out of that: the same, or a a, a two people cooperating together to bring about salvation, which um, we would call, you know, a semi-pelagius um view of of um, salvation so is your is salvation monergis, monogenistic or is it synergistic is, is there synergism involved and one of the modern day scholars that I follow closely um, Cy Robinson, um says if you ain't saved you ain't going to heaven That's a fact, Jack. So I want to encourage you to study these resources that we're giving you so that you can more properly understand the very uh, specific things that we want to talk about. Salvation is by grace and not works. Let's look at that passage. If you want to turn in your Bibles, you're welcome to. I'm going to put it up here on the screen. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. I want want to to call your attention to part of this verse. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. So something is not your own doing. Something is not what you had. This is not co- originating with you. Something is a gift that's handed to you. And it doesn't happen as a consequence of anything that you've worked for so that you can't boast for it. So the question is you know, as it goes back grammatically, what are we talking about here? Are we talking about grace? Talking about the word saved? I don't think it's grace. I don't think it's saved. But I think, grammatically, when you come back into the structure of this passage, we're talking about faith. Faith comes from God. And, and really, if you finally dice this, the semi-Pelagius um, and the Augustinian philosophers. They're both going to say that something was energized outside the body. To what extent that that is 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 some or outside of your, your own mind. What extent that is, is is what the debate is about. Do you choose Christ and then you're regenerated? Or are you regenerated and then you choose Christ? we would say that God reaches down from heaven and energizes us. We are reborn. Then we are able to choose Christ. As Moon pointed out so, so well last week, dead men, you know, Lazarus didn't sit in the tomb and say, okay, I'm going to synergistically help myself get raised up by Christ. Let me try harder. Okay, let me ask the right questions so that I can become alive. No, Christ spoke. And Lazarus came alive. And in the new birth, Christ speaks. We come alive and we choose Him. And we choose Him because we've got a new nature. And I've often used this illustration just to, just to explain that uh, because this, 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 this whole issue's been very confusing in my mind um, throughout the years. If you place a dog and a horse in front of dead horse meat and hay, so you got a dog with a choice. In this case, the dead man with a choice, dead in his sins. the dead The dead man has free will. That dog has complete free will to choose hay or to choose. Dead horse meat. Let me tell you something. That dog is going to choose dead horse meat. Why is he going to choose dead horse meat? Because it's in his nature. If his nature is changed to that of a horse, then that horse will choose hay over dead horse meat every time. for by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. Not as a result of work so that no one should boast. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through Me. He says in another place, in John chapter 6, if you're taking notes, It's the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. And he said, this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted to him by the Father. Again, more specific Augustinian language. Unless it is granted him by the Father. Unless the Father draws him. It is by grace. God's grace. That we've been saved. Effectual call. Effectual is what works. Um, If something is effectual, it works. And what we would say to you is at Providence Bible Church, the elders believe that when God calls, it's an effectual one. And let's just think about that word call. You know, call is so so overused in our in our words and our culture and, and you know what is exactly does what exactly does it mean? You know, when I think of call, I think you know, I'm going to call you on your phone. I hope you pick up. I hope I make it through your screening process. And you're looking at that and you're like, ignore. <laughs> um, uh, and when I called you yesterday, I, you know, I didn't get you on the first time. I just wanted to talk to you about that sometime. Yeah, ignore. Um, and we talk about calling the kids in for dinner. We talk about, at my house, we've got a bell that sits outside of our um on our front porch. And one of the reasons we have a bell is because as loud as I can yell, Nate can go farther away from the house than that. And um, so I ring that bell hoping to call him in for dinner. So there's this kind of hope that we have that somebody's going to pick up that call. What I want to tell you here is the biblical language is a bit stronger than um, just call, and call is a part of a group of words. There's a lot of lot of a lot of words that you know people smarter than me could dice out all the all the different um, ways. But the the root word here is kaleo. and especially in the passages we're going to look at today, it's more it, 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 the, the definition is more to call into one's presence or to summon. One of the things that, that um, I uh, experience in my job from time to time is our subpoenas. And you know I've instructed my staff very carefully, if I get a subpoena, we got to answer it. And let me just tell you, I didn't do that one time. and Well, anyway, I actually did it, but the fax machine didn't send that I did it. And uh, when I called the lawyer, they were like, where are you? We're, we're ready to do this court thing. I'm like, I sent you a, I sent you a message that I wasn't going to be able to appear. Um, but you need to respond to subpoenas, just in case you in case you want to know. That's that's more of a stronger word um, when 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 you subpoena someone or you call them, you summon them. It's the same word that's used when the when Herod summoned, called the Magi into his court. And now they were willing to sneak out of town and get back um, to their homeland, back to the east quietly, but they weren't going to do that when they were in Herod's presence or where he could send his guard at. They came. Summoned him and he came. In fact, the group of individuals that you see around you is called the call. The summoned. The, the, the called out, the, the, the ecclesia, that's the church. People who were part of the world, but they were called out from that world into the church. And the church literally means the called out ones. Turning your Bibles over to Romans chapter 8. Very popular passage. Every time something goes wrong in our lives, this is, a, this is a passage that we remind each other of. I remind myself of. You remind yourself of it. It's very comforting to know the things that are in this verse. But I just want you to look at all the things that are in this verse. Or these verses. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to His purpose. For those whom He foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son in order that He might be the firstborn among many brothers. And and again, I'll just point out predestined to you Again, in that passage. Again, you can't say, "I don't believe in predestination." That's that's not a legitimate argument. You might be able to say, uh, and you might even be able to use this passage in, in in some way to say, "Well, the way he predestined was that he already knew what I was going to cho- choose, so he chose me after I chose him." Kind of thing. You know, that's a legitimate argument that people have. Um, I think you have to kind of push that into the context, but I'm just trying to acknowledge that as a, as a legitimate way of way of reading that. I think it's like pointing out one aspect, and 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 of course you can't the 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 the, flip, the Augustinian side of understanding this verse would be to say, you know, he knew a certain group of people; those he foreknew, he predestined. Let's go on in this passage. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he often glorified. So look at this verse and see. He predestined, he called, he justified. He glorified. And the question I would ask you is, is that all or some? Did He predest, did he foreknow all? Predestine all? Pre, um, call all? Justify all? Glorify all? Obviously He didn't. He's talking about a specific group of people that He foreknew. A specific group of people that He predestined, that He called, that He justified, and that He glorified. Irresistible grace. I think most of us understand what that word means. It's irresistible. It's something that you cannot resist. Something when God makes your spirit alive, you choose Him. Let me read you a quote from John MacArthur. Every use of the word call with regard to salvation in the New Testament epistles refers not to a general outward call, but to a specific, inward, efficacious, something that works, effectual, efficacious, same kind of idea, saving act of God. It is in that sense an unyielding summons from God that you will respond to. And that's why theologians have called it irresistible grace. I like the word call better, he says. And I like the idea of an unyielding summons because that emphasizes god's unyielding saving work rather than man's resistance but nonetheless it does fit the little outline in theology of irresistible grace what i'd like what i'd like to do is just take you through some passages of the the word call in the new testament in ephesians later on in ephesians in chapter 4 he says i Therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the the bond of peace. Again, you've been called, this is your calling. An efficacious calling. In Colossians chapter 3, and let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts to indeed you were called into one body. And be thankful. 2 Thessalonians 2, 13 and 14, but we ought always to give thanks to God for you. Brothers, beloved by the Lord, because God chose you as first fruits to be saved, through sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth. And look look at the order of those just for just for kicks. Sanctification through the Spirit and by belief in the truth. To this he called you through our gospel, so that you may obtain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. Those who are called are glorified. Second Timothy one, eight and nine. Therefore do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me his prisoner, but share in the sufferings suffering for the gospel by the power of God, who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of God's but because of his own purpose and grace which He gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began. The Gospel message through the calling of God. In 1 Peter chapter 2, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for His own possession, that you might proclaim the excellencies of Him who called you out of darkness, into His marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you have not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. And it's through the calling of God. Next in, in um, 1 Peter... Well, it's on there as we say, I don't think it's on there, but yes, it is on there. My eyes need to look at the big screen. Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for ri- reviling, but on the contrary, bless for to this you were called that you may obtain a blessing. And again, I'll point out in none of these verses, people are, are not being called and not coming. They, this is the efficacious, this is the effectual, the irresistible call in these verses. First Peter five ten. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. He who and let me just let me just stop here for just a second. This ties into eternal security. Because really if you believe that it is your choosing that made you a part of the body of Christ, is it not your choosing that could let you loose of the body of Christ? And that's where you get into Pelagiism. I can't even say words. Pelagist belief. I'm going to just change the form of it. I can say it better. You know, And, and that's where you get... Or, or, or you know, your Free Will Baptists who can be saved and then be lost and be saved and be lost and be saved and be lost, because it was their work that got them, It was their synergy with God, and so if they kind of drop the ball, they kind of float back out of grace. When you're talking about Augustinian theology, you're talking about a God who grasps you, and you. I will not let any of them anyone snatch them out of my hand. Nothing can separate you from the love of God. It's not back and forth. And so that's a great comfort for those of us who struggle with salvation. You become a believer, and then all of a sudden you do something stupid or maybe a multiple something stupid if you're like me. Um, those usually come in lots of... I started to say pairs, but they usually come in more than pairs. You do a lot of dumb stuff in your life you're kept secure by God's calling, by God's choosing, by grace through faith that God has regenerated you. And it's His job. He who began a good work in you will perform it to the day of Christ Jesus. Second Peter 1.3 His divine power has granted to us all the things that pertain to life and godliness, through the knowledge of Him who called us to His own glory and excellence. How do we get glory and excellence? It's God's knowledge of us calling us. Therefore, holy brethren, in Hebrews chapter 3, verses 1 and 2, therefore, holy brothers, you who share in a heavenly calling, consider Jesus the apostle and and high priest of our confession, who was faithful to Him who appointed Him, just as Moses also was faithful in all God's house. Again, a heavenly calling. Something that has its origins in heaven. And in 1 Corinthians, he's not specifically talking about salvation here. Uh, Well, he is specifically talking about salvation, but he's talking about different situations that people are in their lives, but listen to how he refers to him. Only let each person lead the life that the Lord has assigned to him into which God has called him. Listen to that language. the Lord has assigned to him and to which he has called him. This is my rule in all the churches. Was anyone at the time of his call already circumcised? let him not remove the marks of circumcision. Was anyone at the time of his call uncircumcised? Let him not seek circumcision. Each one should remain in the condition in which he was when he was called. Were you a slave when called? Do not be concerned about it. Let me just briefly address the idea that some people have put forward by saying... God is dragging, so you're telling me that God is dragging people, kicking and screaming, into heaven. You know, so he's just reaching out and choosing him. And I, and I really think that's one of the most preposterous things to put forward because it's like if I, if I said, to, if I, if I said to, to Allie, you know, hey, would you like to go to Disney World? You know, I'm gonna drive you down there, we're gonna go, we're gonna spend two weeks at Disney World. She's gonna be like, Yeeha. She's not gonna God's not choosing God's not offering us something that's bad. He's offering us the glory of God. He's not dragging anybody kicking and screaming. When his spirit makes us alive and makes us able to choose that make that decision, we choose the hay. Every time, because it's part of our nature. We choose. We're a horse. A horse is not going to eat dead horse meat. And when given the choice, he is always going to choose that straw. Now, let me not trivialize heaven and the grace of God by comparing it to Disneyland. I know I've just done that, but I don't want to leave that thought in your mind. What God's offering is who? Sam talked a little bit about self actualization. He's offering you an opportunity to be who you really could be. Really who you should be. Really who He created you to be. You're not getting drugged. Kicking and screaming. One of the images... and let me address another concern. One of the images that's stuck in, in, in my mind is, is maybe this picture. I looked for this picture. I don't know if this is the picture, but there are pictures like that. and I, I noticed a number of them on the Internet of people pounding on the ark. Please let me in. Let me tell you, that's an artist's conception of what happened. This is not theology. You know, God says our minds are hostile to the Scriptures. I don't think people were begging, pounding, trying... I understand that during a recent debacle of recent foolishness uh, about the ark uh, on television popular television, I didn't watch it myself, but I understand that you know, people were trying to get into the ark, and it was a big kind of melee of, of people trying to get on the ark at the last minute. I want us to all understand that our sin hardens us. And in fact, let me say this, the more truth we get, often if we're rejecting that message, the harder we get. The harder we get towards the Gospel. Truth hardens us. Truth sets people free who are enabled by God and who grasp it. It does set them free. But to people who are rejecting God, it just only makes them angry. Just look at the picture. You know, I think about this and this is ridiculous. I really don't even want to put this up here for very long because I don't want to score it scored in your head. Children, this is not a picture of what happened. I'm using this as an illustration. This is not a picture of what happened. You look at when the King of Kings is coming and when the Lord returns in His glory in Revelation, what do the armies of the world do? They repent and say, oh my gosh, we're so wrong. This is this celestial being that has come to save us from all our sins. Let's repent. No, the armies of the world make war against the King of Kings because our hearts are hard. It's not an accurate picture to think that hostile man, who's been created, who has been created and fallen, has a sinful nature; that they will suddenly realize all this without a working of the Spirit. Let me read you something called the a piece, a portion of the Cambridge Declaration, um, which has been put out by the Alliance of of confessing evangelicals. Unwarranted confidence in human ability. And you, and you may want to think about this, but let me just read it to you slowly. Unwarranted confidence in human ability is a product of fallen human nature. This false confidence now fills the evangelical world from the self esteemed gospel to the health and wealth Gospel, from those who have transformed the Gospel into this product to be sold, and sinners into consumers who want to buy. Many of us were raised in that mentality. You've got to sell your product. And if you don't sell it right, people aren't going to make a decision. That's the mentality that I came from. That's the stuff I read. And let me tell you something, the questions I asked of the pastor that I respect very much came from that mentality, and could never answer them to my satisfaction until you know I found out about Augustinianism. Sorry, um, but I, but I digress, and centers into consumers who want to buy to others who treat Christian faith as. Being true simply because it works. This selling gospel, because it works for us, because it's a good product that you should buy, will give you peace. It will give you joy. It will give you all these things, as if it were a, 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 something to be consumed, something to be bought, something to be traded. It goes on. They go on to say, God's grace is not merely necessary, but is the sole efficient. Cause of salvation. We confess that human beings are born spiritually dead and are incapable even of cooperating with regenerating grace. We affirm that in salvation we are rescued from God's wrath by His grace alone. John and Charles Wesley were hymn writers. We have a lot of their hymns uh, that we sing in a lot of our um, Baptist songbooks. A lot of great hymns. In fact, we're going to sing one in just a minute. But they reacted very strongly to the hyper-Calvinism of their day. People who were abusive with the idea of Calvinism. You know, People who took it to its obnoxious extreme in which if you don't understand that, there are people in this community who take that to its obnoxious extreme. I have talked to people who do not, who are so bound up in, in, in um, the idea of election, carrying it to an obnoxious, ungodly, unbiblical extreme, saying such things as you don't have to say a sinner's prayer. You don't have to believe in the name of Jesus because if you're elect, you're elect. Well, that's obnoxious. That's not what we're saying. That doesn't sound anything like what we're saying. That's carrying any argument to an obnoxious um, alternative. That is not true. But let me tell you something. They were reacting to that, so they were Arminian. You will, you will find the Wesleys as Arminian. But let me read to you one of um, Charles Wesley's songs. And can it be? A a song that we've all heard. Let me let me read you those verses, and let me tell you. Tell me which this sounds like. Does this sound like Semipelagist or or um, Augustinian belief? Long, my imprisoned spirit lay, fast bound in sin and nature's night. Thine eye diffused a quickening ray. I woke the dungeon flamed with light. My chains fell off. My heart was free. And then I rose, went forth to follow Thee. Even someone who is a professing Arminian gets this right. What? And let me just throw another theological... I know it's late in the day to throw a theological term at you, but the prevenient grace of God which means it precedes salvation so god reaches down from heaven and touches someone they're awake they can choose and guess what someone who has been awakened from a sleep will choose every time those he called he also justified he also sanctified those he sanctified he also those he just I'm sorry those he called, he also justified. Those he justified, he also sanctified. Those he sanctified, he also glorified. A kid's gonna choose Disneyland every time. Horse is gonna choose hey, every time. When you are awakened by the grace of God, we're not gonna nobody's dragging you, kicking and screaming. You are being saved from running off a cliff, which is the cliff, as, as Moon pointed out last week. It is a cliff that the whole of human race, you know, we're not satisfied to go to hell on our own. We are digging a hole to try to get there faster. The whole human race is running opposed to God, just like we see in Revelation. Um, the whole human race, and He, in His mercy, chooses. He picks people with an effectual call, so that they turn and they have their choice. Choose. Glorification, or choose certain death in hell. Those He called, He glorified. If you want to summarize the points of, of, of what we're talking about this morning, redemption is by grace, not works. Not of yourself. Or else you'd have something to boast about. If you were synergistically involved in the salvation process, then you could say, I did this, or I helped God. My dad always said, we killed a bear, but Daddy shot him. And I think that's a good illustration for what happened here. We we killed a bear, but Daddy shot him. God chose us in His grace. This is an effectual call. He doesn't try to... Woo some people, and they are distracted away by another lover. The ones he goes after, all that the Father give, gives him, he keeps. And that this is the irresistible grace. Um, again, in trying to chart through this and trying to think through this, I thought it might be good just to put up a slide of some websites, and obviously, you know, you can get those from me at any time. I could send you this slide, in fact. Just some, some, some websites that may help you think through this issue if you're struggling with it. Um, 9 the Gospel Coalition, uh, Desiring God, uh, gty.org, and uh, monergism.com. Providence Bible Church, how does this impact us? What's the application for us? I think number one, if you've been called, it is God's responsibility. He who called you is the one that will glorify you. It's not by your works. It's not how good you, you do. I want you to do good. I want you to give back everything that you can. But it's on the basis of His holiness and His choosing that you're glorified. Another, another critique of this position is, well, why evangelize if God's gonna just choose whoever He wants to? You know, again, that's that's not us. That's a that's a hyper extreme of this position, which is it's out there, and and you'll find that in Primitive Baptists um, at times. You know, that's kind of over in over in that over in that neck of the woods. We should be evangelical because you know we don't know who the elect are and God has commanded us to be evangelical. We you know, how shall they hear without a preacher? The method that God has chosen to carry his message is through us. Do I believe in women preachers? You may have heard otherwise. Just saying. But I definitely believe in women preachers. I believe that it is every Man, woman, child who has been arrested by the grace of God. Responsibility to preach the Gospel. Now obviously, I think there are women who have the gift of preaching and, and, and a specialized gift from God as well. But use that gift to evangelize. Use that gift to strengthen your group of, of, of the people that God has brought into your life. Um, Preach the Gospel. And finally, the encouragement that I would give to Providence Bible Church is to look at that, and if you've been chosen, if you are part of the elect, if you have received faith in Christ Jesus, it should make you more humble than anybody on the planet. Because you really understand that it was nothing that you did. You can't look at the person next door, your neighbor next door, and say, well... I was a little bit more intellectual or I kind of bought in early on this pyramid scheme, so I'm up at the top of this pyramid scheme. You can't say that kind of stuff. you got to go, and can it be that I should gain an interest in the Savior's blood? Died He for me? Who knew His pain? Thine eye diffused a quickening ray. I woke transformed, follow the Christ. You should be, we should be among the most humble people. If you're wearing election like it's a badge that you're just proud of you got elected because you campaigned for it, you're missing the point. You should be humbled and just saying, God, Why? I can't believe it. So I throw those three challenges to you. Again, at Providence Bible Church, we don't expect you to have worked it all out. and I don't, I don't expect that that message answered all your questions and, and maybe we could sit down for hours and it wouldn't answer all your questions. But let me just tell you that, that we as a group of elders who are endeavoring to shepherd this congregation, we, we believe firmly in this doctrine. We believe this is what salvation is. And, um, and we have unity on that. Um, and we'd be glad to talk to anybody that, that, that has concerns um, or questions about them. Thank You, Father, so much for the miracle of new life in Christ. Thank You for the miracle of resurrection, we recognize that we were headed headlong into the, on the broad road, headed straight to destruction. And God, You rescued us. Your salvation is beautiful, and I don't take any credit for that. We understand that it's by grace alone, through faith alone, and that You have called us into the church. You've called us through your son's blood, it was not not without cost to you, not without a price. It is you who's done this. Thank you. Amen.